0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome back from break. So today, our topic is a table. That's the description we have in our text today, the description of a table. Not a particularly big table either, about one meter long, about a half meter wide, about three quarters of a meter tall. So it's like an end table. But it's a very, very fancy end table, uh, made out of wood but covered every surface with gold, with elaborate carvings, and gold work everywhere. And what was placed on this table was bread. Sometimes it's called the show bread. That's the King James translation of it. Others will translate the bread of display. This is the bread you display. Uh, I think the most accurate translation is the bread of the presence. Uh, but whose presence? We'll get there. First, I'll start with the ritual itself. Uh, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 24 in your pew Bible or on your devices. Or read off the screen if you have good eyes. And let's read this together. The Leviticus chapter 24, beginning at verse 5. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on the, each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings a perpetual do. All right, so this is a very simple ritual. The ritual involves baking bread, putting the bread on a table, waiting a week, then eating the bread. Repeat every single week for the rest of uh, Israel's existence. All right, so with the rituals, the first thing to remember is the actions may be very mundane. We have very normal actions, very normal objects. I mean, bread is about as normal as things get. But ritual the actions always have a meaning that goes beyond just the simple thing itself. It's kind of like Jesus' parables. Jesus tells parables of very simple things, like farmers, but they all have much more deep meanings. So let's talk a little bit about this ritual. First of all, I want to show you this called Pictures for Fun. We actually know what this thing looked like, at least in the Second Temple period. This is an actual coin from the Hasmonean dynasty in the first century B.C., So the Hasmoneans were both kings and priests over Israel, and as kings and priests, they used these symbols from the tabernacle or the temple as their coinage symbols. So you see on the head side of the coin, a menorah, the lamp, uh, one of the two main pieces of furniture in the holy place. On the tail side, you see a table, very crudely drawn because he has a four-legged table, uh, And around it you see dots, those memories represent the 12 loaves of bread, the round loaves. These are the two main pieces of furniture in God's holy place, the lamp and the table. And so these are the symbols from the coin. If that drawing's a little too crude for you, I have a better one. Uh, Here's the Romans' drawing of it. See, the Romans destroyed this temple in 70 AD, and Titus, then general, later emperor, uh, brought the treasures of Jerusalem back to Rome. And there he built the Arch of Titus, uh, which depicts uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And here you see on the left side of the picture, they're carrying away the menorah. And on the right side of the picture, they're carrying away the table. See that table at the far right upper corner? So that's what it looked like. You know, the Romans actually owned the thing, and so they knew what it looked like. Which is exciting when we know what these things look like. But as I said, we need to get to the deeper meaning of this ritual. And the deeper meaning of this ritual, I'm to ask four pointed questions of the text. And from these four questions, try to uh, elucidate what this ritual means for the Israelites and what it means for you, for those who are in Christ. So our first question, how do the bread and the lamp go together? Right? Because the bread and the lamp seem to always get together. You know, there, the bread and the lamp together, the coin, the bread and the lamp together. For that matter... Uh, in Leviticus, they describe these two rituals next to each other. So what do these two rituals combined mean? Well, if you think about it, bread is on the table, the lights are on, somebody's home. These are visible signs that God is at home, that his lights are on, his food is on the table, he is present. You might say, isn't God always present? Isn't he literally omnipresent, which means present everywhere, always, the universe cannot contain him, he fills all things yes but this is a different kind of presence here in the temple God is present for the benefit of his people, which is different than being everywhere, there he's present as one who is visibly tangibly there, his lights are on his food's on the table, so that he is prepared to answer prayers, he's prepared to save his people, he is there and he is ready And so, this is what the bread of presence represents for the Israelites. God's presence among them. God's presence for their benefit. But for us who know the full revelation of Christ, God's presence is even greater. Because God is present in the flesh. Uh, Let's read together John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory... Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God present among us. God present among us, taking on our own flesh so that he can uh, be for our benefit, that he can save us, that he can uh, make us whole again. And so, in Jesus, the presence of God becomes even more tangible than just the lights are on. An actual flesh-and-blood human being Is God among us? Okay, so that's the first of these uh, questions I want to ask. The bread and the lamp go together to show God is present. The bread of the presence shows God's presence. The second question is, why so much bread? Because this is a a lot of carbs, let's be honest. Uh, Each of these loaves is uh, one-fifth of an ephah flour, which, if you do the math... That's over five pounds for each of these loaves. And that's a substantial loaf of bread. Uh, That, by ancient standards, this was enough bread to be two days' rations for one person, per loaf. And then there's a dozen of these. I mean, so this, remember, this is only an end table. This thing's a meter by a meter, a meter by a half meter. You can't lay out all 12 loaves there, you had to stack them. And they, they stacked high, they probably stacked like this high off the table. So what what is the point of this excessive amount of bread? Well, I think part of it is that God is a little bit excessive. God has an abundant table. God overflows his table with delicious carbs. And this is part of a general trend we see in the Old Testament, that God's uh, love for his people is described as an overflowing banquet. Just for a couple quick examples, uh, here, Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Or here from Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God doesn't just give enough. He gives this overabundance that flows over off the table and everywhere. This is how great God's love is for us. And this is made abundantly clear in Jesus. Jesus is also a little excessive. I mean, he makes water into wine, and he makes wine in hundreds of gallons. It's the equivalent of 700 bottles of wine. That is a lot of wine. Uh, Jesus shows overabundant love to us. And we see this uh, in the verse that, Behold a banner of love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should become the children of God. So God's grace is not small. God's grace is an overabundant feast of the most delicious things imaginable. And so the table overflows. But it's not just there's a lot of bread, it's a very specific number 12. Why are there 12 loaves exactly? The Old Testament has certain favorite numbers you know, seven, number of the days of creation, uh, ten, the numbers of the commandments, twelve the number of God's people. Because Israel had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became 12 tribes. This is the number of God's people. This continues in the New Testament. How many disciples did Jesus choose? 12. Because he's creating a new Israel. And so, whenever we see number 12, we should immediately start thinking Israel. We start thinking God's people. And so, there are 12 loaves in God's house. God's people are in God's house. This is what God desires. Not just that God is present among us, but that we are present with him. That God's people are invited to his table to be with him. But there's a problem. The problem here is sin. The problem is sin prevents God's people from coming into his house. You see, God is holy. And God's holiness is dangerous to unholy things. Now, don't get me wrong. God's presence is good. We want God to be present. We want to be present for our benefit. But if we, uh, if we are unholy, then God's presence is dangerous. God is like a burning fire. And fire is good. Fire is good. It produces light. produces warmth. And it can be used for protection. But fire is bad if you are highly flammable and very close to it. Sin is highly flammable. Sin is extremely flammable. And so if you are a person who is covered in sin, you are not suited to be close to fire. You will burn up. Object lesson. This is you know, from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you know, this is what it looks like when a sinner comes into the presence of God. Faces start melting off. You do not want to be highly flammable and come near a fire. You don't want to be highly sinful and come near to God. God does not desire the death of the sinner. So how does he get sinners into his house? Well, here, the bread is a sign. The bread is a sign that God desires to have his people in his house. Uh, Let's say I'm a random Israelite. Pick a tribe. uh, Benjamin. We'll be Benjamin. I'm a random Israelite tribe of Benjamin. I can't go in God's house because my face will melt off. But I can give flour to the priests. The priests will turn that flour into a loaf of bread for my tribe. And then that loaf of bread is in God's presence. So symbolically, I am in God's presence because my loaf is in God's presence. This is a sign of what God desires. He wants his people in his presence. But to do that, he's going to have to get rid of everything flammable about us. He's going to have to remove our sin and make us holy. And so this is a sense, a promise. A promise that God will make his people holy and that they will be in his presence. This is actually the hope of all Israel. Look again at Psalm 23 here. The last words are, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That The Israelites believed that God would fulfill this promise shown in the showbread, that he would let the people into his presence forever. And this is accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made you holy, and that is why you're allowed into God's presence. Let's read together here from 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has made you into a holy people. He has made you into priests, made you into those who can enter the temple and partake of God's table. Which brings me to the third and the fourth and last question I have for this text. Who does the eating? Notice who does the eating in this. The priests eat the bread. God does not eat the bread. This is significant because this is totally backwards from how pagan bread rituals work. See, the pagans had bread rituals. The Babylonians, for instance, set up bread on tables before their gods. The Egyptians set up bread on tables before their gods. But in those cases, it was to feed the gods. You see, pagans believed you had to feed the gods. You had to feed them, you had to wash them, you had to clothe them, you had to burp them. It's like having babies, basically. You, know, you had the proper care and feeding of your gods. But God doesn't eat here. God doesn't eat any of the bread. None of it is offered as a sacrifice to Him. It sits at the table in front of Him, and then God gives it to the priests to eat. This, I believe, is significant that God has turned the ritual backwards. Instead of People feeding God, God feeds his people. You see, God needs nothing. God is all self-sufficient. There is nothing you can give God that he doesn't already have. And so because of that, he doesn't need your food. But you need his food. You are altogether reliant upon him. You are totally dependent upon him for everything. And so God feeds his people. The people do not feed God. Now, in Jesus, this is truly fulfilled, because in Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Bread prolongs life. If you have nothing to eat, you will die. Each time you eat, you have staved off death for another day. God has given us the bread of life. He has given us his son, Jesus. And if you partake of him then you will never die. It doesn't just stave it off one day. It staves it off for all of eternity. That Jesus is that life-giving bread. Which brings us then to the hardest saying Jesus has about the bread. That is this one. Jesus is talking about uh, the bread of the presence and an incident in David's life. Let's read this together. It's from Matthew chapter 12, or we can read off the board. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying that the temple was a shadow and it pointed to him. And so he uses this story about David to explain what the kingdom of God is like. You see, David was hungry. He was running from Saul with his men. There was no food, but the priest said, well, we have holy bread. Here you go. And David and the men ate it and we're not destroyed. Jesus takes this as a messianic sign. He takes this as a sign that David represents the Messiah. You see, David is the forerunner of his son Jesus. David is God's anointed king who is given to Israel in order to bring them justice and salvation. Jesus is God's anointed king sent to God's people to bring them justice and salvation. Now, David does this in a much lesser way than Jesus. He merely points the way. David is shadow. Jesus is the real thing. Or to use technical terms, David is type. Jesus is anti-type. And therefore, David represents the Messiah. His men represent those who follow the Messiah. David's men represent you, those who are in Christ. And so David, because he represents the Messiah, is allowed to eat the holy bread. He is God's holy Messiah who can eat the holy bread. And those who are with him, because they are with him, may also eat the holy bread. What it's saying here is that holy things are for holy people. That you have been made holy people because you are in the holy Messiah. Because you are in Christ, because he is your head, you are now holy people. And as holy people, the holy things are for you. (coughs) There's an old saying from the Eastern Orthodox liturgy, the holy things for the holy ones. You are the holy ones. That means the holy things belong to you. That means you can come to the table of the Lord when he gives it to you in the sacrament of the altar. You can come to the table of the Lord, eat of his holiness, and not be harmed. Your face will not melt, but instead it is for your nourishment. It is for your good and your benefit. It is for your salvation. God has made something that was dangerous to you nourishing and life-giving. And so just to summarize what we should get out of this ritual, this ritual of the bread of the presence, what it means for you. First of all, it means God is present among you for your benefit. He is present in you because Jesus Christ has walked among you as one of your own and that he now lives in your hearts. It means that God makes you holy, makes you holy people who can be in his holy presence. He does this through Jesus Christ, who took your sins upon himself and put his holiness upon you. And finally, God feeds you with an incredible overabundance, and he gives you eternal life. Not just a lot of life, but so much life you can't even use it all up. That is what the bread of presence means for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.